listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. I love the Christmas season, church. I do. I do. And I love talking about the birth of Christ. It's one of my favorite subjects. And, um, um, and we've kicked off the Christmas season, as I said, with the lighting of that candle. And so it makes sense for me just to transition and just start preaching about Christmas right now, right? But that's not what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to preach Jesus, but he's still an adult, okay? He's an adult. We're not going back yet. We will. We will. We'll talk about the birth of Christ as the season goes on. But um, as, we, as we close out um, our, our serve month, our annual serve month, there's, there's just something that God's laid on my heart that I want to share with you today. Uh, before we do, I want to make sure we welcome the Florida Women's Reception Center. Let them know how much you appreciate them being with us. We love you, ladies. Thank you all for being a part of this service. We know that you, you have a choice. You don't have to go to chapel on Sundays, and we appreciate you joining with us, and we love you, and we're glad that you're here with us. Amen. 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 Um, so today I want to talk to you on this subject, playing church, playing church. There's going to be moments in this sermon where I'm telling you, I'm giving you an advance warning. It's going to feel like, like I'm chewing you out. I promise you I'm not. Because by the time I get to the end of this, I'm celebrating you and you'll know why, okay? But there's just some things that I, I want to point out about the mainstream church. And, I, and, and, and as I, when I talk about church, I'm not necessarily talking about you it could include us if we're not careful but I want to make sure that you understand that just because some of the wording may be harsh at times and aimed at the church you need to understand this I love the church I love the I love the local church I do Christ gave his life for the church and so as a shepherd in the body of Christ it's my job to make sure that we as a church body adhere to what Christ has called us to do and so as I share this, as I go through it, I don't want you to feel like I'm getting on to you. As a matter of fact, when we get to the end of this, I promise you I'll celebrate you. Amen? You're uncertain if you want to say amen or not. But I get it. I get it. I grew up in a pastor's home. And that's all I know. And I know that I'm the minority in this room when it comes to that because most of you in the room, you don't. There's a few of us in the room. We know what it's like to be raised in a pastor's home. The rest of you, you have no clue. You have no idea. And you see, I was born in, in uh, Ocala at Monroe Regional. And the, the moment that they took me home from the hospital, uh, my dad was a pastor already. I was born into a pastor's home. And they took me home to Port English where my dad was pastoring. And they took me straight into a parsonage. If you have no idea what a parsonage is, I want you to raise your hand. It's okay. I, I just need to know. You have no idea what a parsonage is. It's okay. It's good. It's good. Um, a parsonage is a, a residence that the church owns for the pastor and his family. Usually it sits next to the church or somewhere in close vicinity to the church. That's all I know. That's, that's what I grew up in. The, the rest of you, that you've never experienced that. You've never visited a pastor's home or a parsonage. You have no idea. I mean, we, we were limited on, on what, we, what we could paint and couldn't paint. Some churches were more lenient than other churches on, on what we could do to the landscaping of the yards, that kind of stuff. I just grew up in a pastor's home, particularly in a parsonage. And I remained in a parsonage until the day that I married my wife. When I moved out of my parents' house into a home with Mandy, that is when I left the parsonage life behind, the pastor's home behind. And, and it was short-lived because um, even though we've never particularly lived in a, in a parsonage for very long in our marriage, 
um, there was only a, about a year, maybe, maybe a year and a half span where we, before I went into ministry full time. And so, um, honestly, living in a pastor's home is all that my, my children knew. That's it. Um, but growing up, especially my younger years before I could drive, my friends consisted of, of church friends. That's what it was. That's, that's, that's who my family hung out with. It was church people and their kids. That's what's wrong with me today is because I had to hang out with all of your kids, like the church kids. And, uh, and so when our families would get together, we as children, our games that we would play, you know, we, we would do what we would see our adult parents do. We had church. In a very fun and loving way, we had church. That's what, we, that's what we did. All of our parents, when we saw them all together, it was always at church. And so we as kids, we wanted to mimic that. And so we would play church. That's what we would do. We would play church. If, if, if there was a tree house, then we had church in the trees. If there was a swing set, somehow we transformed that swing set into the church. That's, that's where we had church. Someone was always designated to be the choir director. And so with the rest of us sitting there in rows, they would stand and lead us in a song. And they, they were the, the chorus, the, the choir director. Someone would be designated to, to receive the offering. And none of us had any money. So the offering probably consisted of like acorns and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's what we gave. That's all we had to give, right? And then someone would be designated to preach. Never the same person twice. No, we would never do that. We would take turns doing it. And many times they would ask me because I was the pastor's kid. You know, I was the PK of the bunch. Surely because your dad does it, you know how to do it. I had no idea how to do that. Sometimes I stand up here and I still don't know what I'm doing. So, I mean, it, it just, it was, I guess, easy to pass it off on the, the pastor's kid. So sometimes I get to preach. And if the mood was just right, I mean, if the song selection was good, if people were giving their acorns and as unto the Lord, then sometimes, just sometimes, we might have a salvation in our little group. Someone would raise their hand and want to give their heart to Christ, you know, um, or at least play the part of giving their heart to Christ. You know, they were designated to be the salvation for that day. Yeah. If there was a swimming pool, man, you talking about... We had church because we were going to have a baptism service. And it would start innocent because we would, you know, we, somebody would baptize them, and Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we'd baptize them, bring them back up. That's what we saw our parents do. But then it would always turn into the splashing match and a dunking contest, you know. And so before long, we forgot church. Sometimes I wonder if we should get back to that a little bit. And it might be fun to splash around a little bit. Uh, you see, I got to be careful because some moron in the room is going to be like that whenever we baptize next time. So we got to be careful. Us church kids, we played church. It's what we did. It's what we saw our parents do. It's what we thought we were supposed to do. So we played church. And of course, I know, I get this. There is no real lasting value to us playing church. I know some of you probably want to dig down, you know, deeper, and you're like, well, look at you today. It, it paid off. You're, you know, you played church. You, trust me, there were some dark years between me playing church and me becoming a pastor, okay? It, there was really no lasting value to us playing church. The offering was not real. The music was not that great. The preaching was not that great. Lives were not really changed. We were just playing church. And there is danger in playing church with no real significant change. 
I'm not talking to the children anymore. I'm talking to the adults. There's a danger in going through the motions and playing church and there never being any real significant change. You see, church, every time we crack open the Word of God, it is, it is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. Every time we open the Word of God, we should expect it to change us. Somehow, it should change us. And so, there's a danger in going through the motions and playing church and there never being any real significant change. You see, we're not called to just gather together. We are called to gather together, but we're not called to just gather together. We're called together, but it's supposed to be in order for us to encourage one another. It's, it's a scripture. We've used it recently, but you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Even more so, you see the day of the Lord approaching. And it says in that scripture that we are to use this time to encourage one another. So here's why we gather. We gather as a church. We come together as a church body, as a family. First of all, to, to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we gather together to do that. Then we want to grow in his word. We want to grow in the knowledge of his word. We want to become more like Christ and let the word of God change us. But then we gather together weekly to encourage each other. You see, part of the reason why you're here today is to encourage someone else in this room. And why? Why is that so important? Why would Scripture tell us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and that when we are together, we are to encourage one another? Why? It's because we are not called to stay within the confines of this church. We're called to come here weekly to encourage one another because in between those weekly gatherings, we are to go outside of these doors. And how many of you know that outside of these doors, it can be dark at times? Sometimes it can be discouraging. Sometimes it feels like the world has forgotten about God completely. And so when we gather together, we're here to encourage one another, but we cannot stay in the confines of this room. We can't stay on the confines of this campus. We've got to make sure that it's going outside of this room. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus, who had already been crucified he was resurrected and he is about to ascend to the father he he calls his disciples together and he has a very important meeting with them and here's the words that he says and listen to how he starts this Matthew 29 and 28 rather Matthew 28 and 19 he says go somebody say go he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus said, he starts this off with that little word, go. Somebody say go. He says, go, go, go. And some people can't go because they never showed up in the first place. I told you, I warned you, and you stayed. Some people can't go because they never showed up in the first place. And, and I know, I know, it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, right? It does. It feels like I'm preaching because you, you showed up. And so that's the first step. Listen, if you're watching online right now and you can, I know some people can't, but if you can physically show up, show up. Because the next step is go. And you can't go until you come. So show up and then go. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm trying to be good right now. But what about you guys? Let me tell you, one of the dangers that we have in, in, in Christian culture in America right now is we have people going through the motions of church and they're showing up physically. But what they're not doing is they're not showing up mentally or spiritually. And it's as, it's as important as showing up physically. I promise you it is. It's as important as showing up physically. You've got to be here mentally and spiritually. That means when you walk into this room, you have got to have an expectancy on your heart. When you show up, you've got to be ready. You've got to say, God, I know you're going to meet with me today. I know you're going to be here, and I know you're going to change lives. And God, if you just happen to grace me with your presence, you can change my life. You've got to walk into this room, and you've got to be ready to receive from God. It's a spirit of expectancy, and God's people need to, 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 to redevelop a hunger for that in their lives once again we've got to show up mentally we've got to show up spiritually and we've got to show up physically if church is not a priority to your life then I can assure you the great commission is not going to be a priority either you cannot say I've got a heart for the lost and for the hurting when you don't even have a heart for for people who are like minded and, and, and walking life with you church is not a priority the great commission is not we gather together to worship god to grow in his word to encourage one another but please understand please know we can't stay here scripture tells us we come here but we can't stay here and 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 what we learn in god's word it can't just stay here it's got to come out we can't stay here If what happens in the church stays in the church, then we're doing something wrong. If what happens in the church stays in the church, we're doing something wrong, and and we've got to correct that. It's it's why I celebrate you, church, because I, I really believe you're getting it. You're getting it. You're not ashamed to serve. You're not ashamed to get out there and get your hands dirty. And and so I know, I know that there's people, the majority are saying, I want to to, to further the kingdom of God. I want to be the hands and feet of Christ. I want to make sure that what happens in the church gets outside the walls of the church. And, And here's the problem is that we're so good at seeing hurt. We're so good at seeing the pain. We're so good at seeing the injustice. But we've got to get better at responding to it. And there's so many churches and there's so many Christians that they just turn a blind eye to this stuff. I need you to understand something about me. If, if, if you've been around here long enough, you know this. But if, but if not, I'm going to catch you off guard. But I am not a political person. I'm not. I believe in my right to vote. I, I, I exercise my right to vote. But if you think I'm sold out to one political party or another, you're dead wrong. I need you to understand, I knew, I knew, I told you. I'm going to keep going. This is only going to get worse if you don't get with me. We are so good, according to which side of the aisle we sit on politically, at recognizing hurt and pain and injustice. We see it, but we're horrible at responding to it. We will wear the wristband for the cause, especially if it matches our shoes, right? I mean, come on, you give me a good black or red wristband today, I'm, I'm all in, man, right? Right? 
we'll do it. We'll wear the wristband, whatever quote is on it for whatever cause it is for that day. We're okay with that. We'll even share or retweet an article or a post because it touches our heartstrings a little bit or maybe it, it stirs up this righteous indignation within us. And so now we, we're okay. We want to share. We want to retweet. We want the world to know how we feel politically. Uh, we will even change our social media profile picture in support of whatever social justice issue impacts our heart for that month. And so we'll do it. We'll take that step. We, we, hey, we will do whatever we can to change this world as long as it involves changing our profile picture. We'll do it. How many of you know changing your profile picture has not changed one life? Okay, you're not with me. Church, we are good at being empathetic is what we're, we're really good at that. Like we have a master's degree, if not a doctorate in being empathetic. But the church has to be more than empathetic. We've got to do more than, than gripe, complain, and, and, and repost and retweet. We've got to do more than that. Because that's the arsenal of the world. That's how they handle things. The world will gripe. They will complain, they will repost, and they will retweet. And, and that's how they handle life, and that's how they handle the problems of this world. But, but we can't just talk about it. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. We cannot just talk about it. The problem is, I think so many of us have accepted our position in the body of Christ, and we think God's called us to be the mouthpiece. I'm just being ugly right now. Jake, i got to get out of this, right? I should just call the band back up and let's end on a good note, right? We're not all called to be the mouthpiece. Matter of fact, very few of us are called to be the mouthpiece. I'm standing here right now questioning if I'm the mouthpiece or not. I don't know. At the time of Christ, there was this group of people called the Pharisees. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 3, and I promise you I'm not going much longer. We're going to end this thing soon. You can get out of here, and you can talk about me at lunch, okay? Um, but there's this, this group of people in Scripture called the Pharisees, and many of you have heard of them, but maybe you don't know exactly what they were about. And They were this religious sect that, that distinguished themselves by closely following and observing the Old Testament law. They, they would pride themselves on that. And they often presented themselves with this, this haughty self-righteousness. And it was like they viewed themselves better than others because they felt like they adhered to the law better than anyone else. And, and so obviously, obviously, the gospel that Jesus was teaching and, and then the strict adherence to the law that the Pharisees kept these were in direct opposition to one another. If you remember Jesus, he said, he said, take my yoke upon you because my burden is light. In other words, he was loosening the screws on what this religious group of people called the Pharisees, how they were trying to hold anybody and everybody accountable. And Jesus was saying, listen, that's, that's not exactly how the kingdom of God works. They had no understanding of grace and of mercy. He had all the understanding of grace and mercy. He was grace and mercy. The yoke that he speaks of was the rabbi's interpretation of Old Testament scripture. And so when he said, take my teaching upon you, he was saying, listen, that's heavy. Mine is freeing. Take this upon you. 
And, and, and so it, they were in direct opposition of one another. And, and, and the Pharisees, they were about dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Jesus was about extending grace to the U's and the mercy to the them's. That's what he was about. And Jesus, in Scripture, he had numerous run-ins with these religious mindsets. And we read of one of those instances in Mark chapter 3. And so I want to read this to you. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, beginning with verse 1. It says, again, he, that's Jesus. He, Jesus, entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. (laughs) Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Here's why Jesus was angry. It's because the Pharisees were playing church. The Pharisees were playing church. They were going through the motions of trying to keep the Old Testament law, but there was no real significant change happening in anyone's life. Nobody was changing. Everybody was falling short because nobody could live up to those rules and regulations. On top of what God had put in place, They had expounded upon it. Hundreds of extra laws. Their interpretation of what God meant. Let me tell you, if you ever get to the place where you think you have to defend what God said, you're in trouble. His ways are higher than yours. You're never going to be able to explain God. These people thought that they knew everything that there was to know about Scripture. I don't know about you, but it drives me insane when I meet people who think that they know the Bible through and through, that like their theology is perfect. Let me tell you something. You, you may not ever want to come back. I don't know. I am in 25th year of ministry, full time. I was raised in a pastor's home. It's all I know. And I still don't have theology figured out. I'm letting you know right now that 16 years ago, my theology has changed from then to now. Not on the major issues. Listen, if they call on the name of Jesus to be saved, they will be saved. That's not going to change with me, okay? But there are some other things along the way that God has, has matured me. He has shown me, and he's not done maturing me. He's still working on me. And I can tell you, I can stand before you today, and I can tell you, and I'm not ashamed of it, I don't have all of theology figured out. And I think one day we're going to get to heaven, and when he starts revealing the secrets of the kingdom of God to us, we're going to stand there with our mouths open, just jaws dropping, and we're going to be like, really, that's what you meant? That? It's like we try our best to to understand God and and his ways, and they're so much higher than ours. Why do we want to wear the, 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 the garment of pride on our lives and think that we're better than someone else because we've got it figured out and they don't? The only thing we need to help people figure out is a relationship with Jesus Christ and then let the Holy Spirit start working on their lives and cleaning them up. The Pharisees. They were playing church, going through the motions, trying to keep the law, but no real significant change happening in anyone's life. And at the end of this text today, we find them joining forces with the Herodians. The Herodians were another religious group. 
possibly a political party. Many theologians, after I just blasted them, but many theologians believe that the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians were three political parties in, in first century Israel, first century Palestine. And it, it, it makes a lot of sense because they were all fighting for power but the problem was the Romans were in power and they were just allowing them to act like they had it all together. And, and so they're, they're going through the motions, trying their best to, to, to live according to what they think their interpretation of Scripture is. And, 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 and now they join forces with the Herodians and they're doing the exact same thing. But their biggest difference was rather than want a Jewish descendant uh, 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 of King David on the throne of Israel... The Herodians supported a Roman king from the line of Herods. That's their name, Herodians. And so these people, though they were adhering to, to the Old Testament law, they were perfectly fine with Rome being in rule and, and a Roman king. And their support compromised Jewish independence from Rome, and therefore it caused this political strain between the Herodians and the Pharisees and this third group called the Sadducees. And so they're all at odds with each other. They can't get along, much like the Republicans, Democrats, and all the independents out there. No one can get along, but the only thing that they could all agree on, the only thing that brought them together at all was opposing Jesus. That's how powerful this man's ministry was in that nation. That the three political parties, because there was no separation of church and state, the three political parties were all at odds. The only thing that they could agree on was, we've got to get rid of Jesus. We oppose Jesus. They all wanted Jesus dead. Why? Because he interrupted what they thought was spiritual correctness. Let me tell you what's, what's worse than political correctness. Spiritual correctness. I know what I know, and until you figure it out and you think just like me, you're wrong. Spiritual correctness. I will not bow to spiritual correctness. It's not far-fetched from the political and religious unrest that separates many of our denominations, our ministries, and our churches today. And in an effort to play church, we set our minds on political matters over real ministry, and we're losing the battle for eternity in the process. Church, here's where I'm at, okay? And I'm almost done, I promise you. Real people, real lives, real souls hang in the balance. So I don't have time to dedicate my life to a Republican Party or a Democratic Party or any other party. I belong to a theocracy. And it's the kingdom of God. And he's the only one that's really in charge. Everyone else, they just think they are. I, I know some of you are like, where did all this come from? It's real people, it's real lives, it's real souls that hang in the balance. And so I don't have time for political games. I don't have time for agendas. Here's, here's where I'm at. And here's where I hope we're at as a church. I just want to preach Jesus. I want to preach him crucified. I want to preach him resurrected. And I want to preach him coming again. And it's my job to make sure that we all understand that. And it's our job to make sure they all understand that outside of these walls. That's why this is important to me. And sometimes we do that through extending his love in very practical ways. 
Because sometimes the only way they're ever going to show up and be a part of what we experience here, the only way they're ever going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, is when someone has extended the arm, the hand of Christ into their life in a very practical way. And they built a, wheel, a wheelchair ramp onto their house or they repaired a roof or, 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 or they, they performed a free oil change or, or whatever it was. Whatever it was, they sold Christmas trees just to bless children. It's very practical. This was the problem with the Pharisees and the Herodians. Their political and yes, even religious views became more important than the man that was struggling physically. The Bible says his hand was shriveled. He had been living life with a paralyzed hand. And nobody seemed to care. Because they were all playing church. And it was the Sabbath day. And you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day according to the Old Testament scriptures. According to the law. And so Jesus shows up at the synagogue on the Sabbath and he sees this man with a withered hand and all they want to do is stand over in the corner, look down their noses to see if Jesus is going to perform work and heal this man on the Sabbath. That's what they're concerned with. Is he going to break the rules of Sabbath? That's what religion will do. It will create rules and it watches for people to break the rules. And Jesus was concerned about this man. They were playing church and they were more concerned with looking holy than, than loving humanity. And in turn, they became critical of anything and everything that pushed against the establishment of religion. Listen to me. A critic of a church and a servant in a church both see the same problem, but they respond differently. Because one goes online and the other one goes to work. One talks, the other one toils. One shares gossip, but the other one shares the gospel. That's the difference between a critic of a church and a servant in a church. And Destiny Community Church, we are not playing church. We are the church. And this past month, you just proved it. We're the church. And the church is alive and well in Newberry, Florida. I can tell you that. The, the church is thriving because we're not bowing down to religion. We are not bowing down to, 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 to this mindset that, that, that we've got it all figured out. And if you don't think our way, you're not right. Listen, listen, listen. All that stuff, I've told you, all that really matters, all that really matters is if they call on the name of Jesus to be saved. I don't care what denomination background they're from. I don't care how they feel about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or how they don't feel about the Holy Spirit. Listen, in due time, he's gonna reveal all of the truth of all that to us. As long as we stay hungry for the word of God, I promise you the truth will be taught, the truth will be received. But we've got to get to this place where we lose this religious mindset and we stop playing church and we actually start being the hands and feet of Christ and church we're doing that because listen DCC we don't we don't serve to the applause of human hands we serve to the applause of nail scarred hands and that's all that matters I don't need society I don't need culture and I certainly don't need the Newberry Forum agreeing with anything and everything we do you understand right because somewhere along the way, with what we're doing, it's going to change a life, and they're going to turn to Jesus Christ, and they're going to know him, and they're going to be saved. Because one day, I just want to stand before God, and I want you to stand before God. And I want to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. I promise you I'm closing. When I close my Bible, it means I'm closing.
In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable. It's called the parable of the talents. Most of you are familiar with it. If you're not, it's a parable. It's not a real story. Everyone knows that Jesus is making up a story in order for him to share a heavenly principle, a kingdom principle in the hearts of his, of his crowd. And so he tells his story. And he says there's this master, and he had three servants, and he called them to him, and, and to the first one, he gave him five talents. To the next one, he gave him two, and to the last one, he gave him one. And the scripture says something very unique. I didn't mention this first service, but it, but it just popped in my head. He said he gave basically each one the talents that they were ready for. Like the one that had one wasn't ready for two, and the one that had two wasn't ready for five. Like he, he distributed with what they were able to handle. He leaves and he goes on his trip and Jesus tells his story and when the, the master comes home to his employees, to his servants, he looks at the one that had five talents and he took and he invested the money and, and he presents to his master 10 and he looks at him and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm gonna make you a ruler over many. Enter into the joys of the Lord. He looks at the one that had two talents and he presents to him four. He invested his money. He, he, he doubled it. He has four talents now. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you a ruler over many. You may enter into the joys of the Lord. He looks at the one that has one talent. He says, what did you do? And the first thing he does, he tries to accuse him so that he's excused from bad behavior. And he says, I know that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. So I took your talent. I didn't do anything with it. I, I, I just wanted to make sure nothing happened to it. Like, let's make sure that nothing changes in my little box, my little world. And he went and he dug a hole in the ground. He stuck that one talent there until his master returned. He dug it up so that he could present exactly what he gave him right back to him. And the master looks at him, and Jesus, it's hard language. Jesus says that he rejects him. He calls him wicked for what he did. The whole point of the parable is you've got to use what God gave you, and you've got to invest it in the kingdom of God. Because what you don't want to do is one day stand before a holy God empty-handed. I've already told you this. I told you this at the beginning of Serve Month. One day we're going to be presented with, with crowns that we can lay at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to show up empty-handed, so I'm going to use what he gave me. And I'm not the most talented person on the planet. I'm not the most talented person in this room. I'm not the most talented person in my family. But I'll tell you this, I'm going to use what he gave me. I'm going to use what my father gave me, right? I'm going to use it because if I don't use it, I will lose it because he took from one and gave to the other. And if you don't use what, what, what God has given you, I promise you, you're going to stand before him one day and you're going to regret it because Ben Franklin said these words, well done is better than well said. And the church has a problem with our mouthpiece. We say a lot of good, but there's not a lot of churches and there's not a lot of Christians that are actually out there being the feet and the hands of Christ. We are. We are the hands and we are the feet of Christ. DCC, I could not be more proud. You have conquered this serve month. You have went out there and you have made a difference in people's lives. 
I, I wish that I had permission to show you the video, but man, I'm telling you, that little boy, when, when they built the ramps onto his house, and, and he had never, his mom said he's never been able to open the door by himself. Now he could go up the ramp, he could open the door, he could go in through the front door, and there's video because they put a ramp on the front, they had enough material to do one on the back, and he's just zipping right through the house, going around and coming right back around, around and around and around. Serve month changed his life forever. The conversations that took place in that cafe while, while widows and single moms were getting the oil change, I'm telling you, forever changed. And, and how many other projects that are out there that no one will ever know who did it, but they're just going to be so moved and so thankful by it because the church said, I will, I will, I'm going to do it and, and I'm going to see something that, that it is a legitimate need and I'm going to go out of my way to meet that legitimate need. And Jesus looked at a man with a withered hand and he said, forget your religion, forget your rules, forget your regulations. I'm going to change this man's life forever because it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Father, thank you for this church. They get it. They understand it. And we're not playing church. Yes, we have a lot of fun. And even in serving, we enjoy doing it. But Lord, we see the big picture and we see the lives, the souls of those that hang in the balance, Lord. And we're ready. We're ready. Send them to us, Lord. Send them to us. Let, let our paths cross with them. you'll just bear with me in the room just for a moment. I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to the women at the Florida Women's Reception Center. This year, God had our paths cross. Some of you, if not all of you, felt like no one saw your value. And you were far from the love of Christ because no one, no one seemed to value who you are. Because of mistakes that have been made by you and sometimes against you. And the Holy Spirit of God wants you to know you're loved and this church stands behind you and we believe in you and we thank God that our paths crossed.
Father, I thank you for a church that loves you. A church that will reach the loss in very practical ways. A church that will lay it all out on the line, hoping and praying for a harvest, for a return. And at times, we may not even see it ourselves, at least not with our physical eyes. But this church serves nonetheless because they get it, Lord. They understand it. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us for the harvest. Prepare our hearts. Strengthen us. Lord, this is one of the busiest seasons for us as a church family. We pray that you would strengthen us. Give us insight, give us wisdom. Give us understanding, give us grace, give us mercy. But never let us stop looking at people. Policy and procedure must always bow down to people. Thank you, Lord, for seeing past our faults. And seeing us as the creation that you've made us. Just help us to continue seeing others that way also, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.